Greetings and welcome to the latest edition of the AMSSM Sports Medcast, produced in collaboration with the BJSM. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Wessels, and today I'm very excited to be joined by Polly DeMille. Polly DeMille is a RN at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York City. She works in the Sports Rehab and Performance Center and is here to talk to us today about her runner's program and, and the different ways they have for customizing and designing rehab and training programs for runners. Greetings, Polly. Thank you. Greetings. Thank you for having me. Is that accurate on, on what the things that you do in your program? Tell me a little bit more about the runner's program and, and what you do there. Sure. Um, well, I'm a, an RN in a um, clinical exercise physiologist. So I work with the PTs in the, in the rehab center there. And essentially, as you know, runners are sort of well-known to be injured quite frequently. And often, I would imagine in your office, it's hard to figure out necessarily what the cause of the injury is specifically, just looking at them when they come in. So our goal is really to provide a way to maximize their performance and minimize their risk of injury. And so often that involves... Um, running mechanics analysis, as you can imagine, the physical therapists while they're rehabbing these people are identifying what their where their weak links are. But as far as the clinical exercise physiologists, we're doing metabolic testing, looking to just see. Often it's a training error that is causing the problem, like too much too soon. It may not be that there's anything specifically wrong with them. They just entered the New York City Marathon and waited until October to start training. Start and, training, sure. You know, like, so <laughs> it's, it's sometimes is more that, or they're training all, you know, too high intensity or things like that. So, so basically we're just looking at, you know, the big picture of what are the physiological demands of their running goals, for example, what are they trying to do? Um, what is it going to take to reach those goals? Do they have the physiological ability to do that right now? Are they, sure. you know, just in terms of, of metabolics and, and then physically, what is there and are there any limiting factors as far as strength, mobility, gait patterns, the shoes they're wearing, you know, any of these sort of things that we can pinpoint that would allow them to be less likely to get injured and more likely to reach their running goal. That makes sense. So you have several credentials after your name that I see, R-C-E-P-C-S-C-S-U-S-A-T. Can you, can you tell me more about your these credentials and your journey to getting to this place? Yeah, well, um, sure. So I was a registered nurse first and worked in critical care, and I'm old. So <laughs> I ran my first marathon in 1980, which was Very before cool. they allowed... <laughs> before they allowed women to run further than 800 meters in the Olympics. If you recall, wow. the first women's Olympic marathon was 1984. Okay. So, you know, I was running in the seventies and, and annoyed by that. Yes. Um, <laughs> so not that I could have gone, I wasn't that fast, but still. So I, you know, as a nurse, I was very, you know, you sort of see what happens when all the systems fail when you're working in critical care. And I was interested in a, why can't women do these things and B what happens when you maximize all of these physiological systems? So I went sure. back to school to get a graduate degree in exercise physiology. And my, my research for graduate school was on the physiological characteristics of women, elite female marathon runners. And because nice. there had been a very sort of seminal study done on like Steve Prefontaine and Frank Shorter and stuff. And so I was looking at like, well, you know, is there some reason women shouldn't be able to, you know? <laughs> so, right. That's a great question. 
yeah. So there wasn't. Women were perfectly healthy who ran a lot. Um, and um, so that's the register, the RCEP or ACSM's clinical exercise physiologist is the registry of clinical exercise physiologists. Okay. CSCS is certified strength and conditioning specialist. And USAT is just, I'm a level one USA triathlon coach. Um, Got it. Okay. So that's what all of those are. But it Very was really, cool. it was just that journey from, you know, to try to look at things like how do you make people the best they could be and how do you sort of you know make systems work as well as they possibly could yeah which is really cool and that's kind of like what you're talking about doing with your runners in the yes. clinic that you're running so how does someone how does a runner i'm curious more about what you do with them but also how does a runner you know they see me for you know and i see that they need some help how does someone get into the, to the clinic or what stage of their of their recovery or their training or their rehab do they get in to, to work with you? Well, it kind of varies. So as far as the, I would say probably more typically the, you know, they're if they're injured, they're going to physical therapy. They see one of the physical therapists that treats runners. And then as they're back to running, the physical therapist might say, you know, you might want to go just sort of have a you know, metabolic analysis and, you know, running mechanics analysis, just to make sure now that we've gotten over this acute issue, that when you go back to your running, you're, you're maximizing the effectiveness of your training program, and you kind of have a little more strategic approach to your running. Okay. Um, so that's one way they kind of come in to see us. The other way is, really, it's almost just like word of mouth. Uh, a lot of coaches send me people it, or people just hear about it, uh, you know, through we're, we're the hospital for the New York Roadrunners Club where the, you know, so we support a lot of those of the races and we're at the marathon and so forth. And so sometimes we will give like just educational talks about training, you know, understanding sure. your zones and stuff. And so they'll come to get a little better sense of that because now with all the technology, people are using Garmin's for their training zones. And that's kind of often just picking them out of, you know, a random thing of like predicted yeah. max heart rate you yep. know so they find that it doesn't really match what their perceived effort is at those zones so they'll come yeah. in to kind of have a little better sense of of what that exactly yeah so it kind of varies yeah it varies where they're coming from and then lately I've been having more people just interested in coming in who are trying to get healthier you know they've they've gotten interested in sort of metabolic efficiency, the ability to burn fat longer. And, and that is part of what we test um, okay. is metabolic efficiency. So it Very used cool. to be just Ironman and marathon runners were caring about, you know, sparing glycogen. And now there are other people who are like, it's a sign of health to be able to, to burn fat. You yeah. know? So that's kind that's... of a wide range of people come through there. Sure. And so not all of our listeners might know this, but you're our ACM uh, guest lecturer at the upcoming annual meeting in Phoenix this year at AMSSM. Is that correct? Yes. Uh -huh. And you're going to be doing a talk kind of on customizing a running program or, or could, can you tell me more about what, what you'll be talking on there and, and tell yeah, us about I think, that? I think I'm doing two things. I think one is just kind of talking about, you know, just kind of what we do at HSS, which is looking at, you know, all the different ways that we can improve our runners' outcomes and how we work in conjunction with our physicians, physical therapists, nutritionists, and so forth. Like it's a, sure. it's, it takes a village to get it yeah. somebody through a marathon. Um, that's right. <laughs> so, so that's sort of our approach is that it, all these different disciplines can have a role in, in helping people and, and 
the more we work together, the better the outcomes will be. And then there's, then I think I'm doing maybe a workshop or something just on in general, sort of customizing a, a train, an exercise program, not just specifically for runners, but like, okay, you know, how do you look at what you might want to recommend for somebody? How do you figure out where the missing links are in their training Got it. plan? Okay. That sounds really interesting. So I am curious for, would you dive a little bit more into when a runner comes and works with you in clinic, what are the things that you're, you know, testing and, and how do you, how does the runner use that information? Sure. I think, you know, I think sort of when people think about exercise physiology testing, everybody thinks like VO2 max testing, which to me sure. is like, you know, really what help, you know, nobody's <laughs> running a marathon in max. Like, let's right. be honest, like it's sort of an yeah. academic number. It's going to tell you like who could be on the podium, but not who will be on the podium. Yeah. It's like, okay. it's just, you know, whatever. So that test is, you know, you probably see it's like a suffer fest and, you know, you mm -hmm. finish it and mm -hmm. whatever. It's quick, quick, quick. The sort of testing I do is really taking people from easy peasy, you know, a comfortable stage on a state, let's say on a scale of one to 10 in terms of perceived exertion, they feel like they're starting at like a three or a four, really something they could do forever. And then just gradually taking them up to the point where they want to stop if that's and, it, and the end of the test is always the athlete decides like I'm, okay. uh, it's up to them if they want to push themselves till they're falling off the back of the treadmill, that's fine. If they're like done, that's it. So every stage, I take a blood lactate level. They're hooked up to the metabolic cart. So they're breathing, you know, we're measuring every breath. We use a parvo cart. So we get for each breath they take, what's, how big is that breath? What's in it? How much carbon dioxide and oxygen? And that's going to tell us um, how many calories they're burning and how much, whether they're taking those calories from fat stores or carbohydrates. Mm. So at the end of the test, we have a pretty idea of where their max is. Um, so for example, if I have somebody who comes in and say, well, I've had like, you know, people come in, I want to run a 3.30 marathon. And we know just from sort of metabolic equations, how much oxygen that's going to take to maintain that pace. So let's say if running a 10 minute mile, it's going to be about 35 milliliters of oxygen per kilogram per minute. So if we're measuring your max VO2, and you're, you're aiming for a pace that requires, say, 40 milliliters of oxygen over three and a half hours, and your max is 38 milliliters, you know, we can tell you, okay, so yeah. your focus should be on, in, on workouts that raise your VO2 max, because, sure. so you're trying to raise, so that's one piece, is just, is this a realistic goal? So the second piece of that is, okay, let's say, here's where you're starting and we know what paces are compatible with this aerobic ceiling. Well, we also know that you can't, you know, nobody can sustain max efforts, really. Obviously, people, you have lactate thresholds, sort of where the lactate starts to go up a lot is what you could sustain. Mm -hmm. And that's very trainable. So an untrained person, you're going to see that blood lactate level start shooting up at about 50% of their max. That can be moved very nicely with training so that it's much closer to, you know, 80%, 90% or something like that. Mm -hmm. So let's say, you know, somebody has a has an aerobic capacity that would allow them to run a pretty decent pace, but their their lactate thresholds down at 50% of that max. Mm -hmm. Now we can tell them, okay, you need to be doing some sort of threshold workouts, tempo runs. Let's move that lactate threshold further up. And then another piece of it would be looking at their metabolic efficiency, which is more specific, I would say, to the Ironman athletes, the 70.3s and the, you mm -hmm. know, the, the marathon runners, climbers are very interested in that. Something where you're going to be doing something for hours at a time and you know 
you don't have enough glucose glycogen stores to support more than say a couple hours of work. You know, you've got maybe 1500 calories. Even the skinniest person has like 50,000 calories of stored fat. You could go forever on this. Um, But if you're not tapping into it, you know, it's not helping you. And there are also over these, as you know, like people doing these long course things, a lot of people get a little nauseous from all those sports nutrition products or they yes. just don't go. Yeah. So, so you, when you're exercising, you have less blood flow to your gut. You need it in your skin to dissipate heat and you need it in your mm-hmm. muscles. So you can't digest as well. So you right. maybe, you know, if you're burning a thousand calories an hour and it's all coming out of glucose versus, you know, if you could take 500 or so of that out of your fat stores, you just don't have to worry so much about getting in the goos and the gels and, and so yeah. forth. So that's what we also look at is like, you know, where are you pulling your calories from? How many are you using? It gives people a good sense of like what their nutritional strategies could be in the race. So if you know you're burning, you know, 900 calories an hour, you're taking 300 out of fat. Okay, now you've got this many out of your carbohydrate stores, you obviously don't have to finish the race with the full tank, but it gives you a sense of like roughly what's the, what could you get away with in terms of fueling during the race or how much should you be getting in, in terms of carbohydrate yeah. during the race. And also that's another, there's different theories about it now, but there's interest in how do we improve that ability to burn fat at higher and higher intensities of exercise to, to spare glycogen. So that's another piece we look at. The other is looking at mechanical economy. So you have a pretty good sense of like how much oxygen per meter or what is the oxygen cost of running at different paces on average. Mm -hmm. So when you're measuring like somebody doing, you know, running that pace on the, on the treadmill, if it's way higher than that, you know, and you look, I'm sure when you see people running, you're probably thinking, oh, dear God, you know, there's yeah. oxygen leaking out everywhere. <laughs> um, so, um, <laughs> so, so you realize you could get some free speed just yeah. by betting better at actually, right. you know, and we all get better at the movement patterns that we do often. Right. So, but if you see this sort of really inefficiency in terms of use of oxygen during a given pace, sure. um, you, you can kind of think, okay, so where might that be coming from? And mm-hmm. some of it is, sim- you know, things like they haven't been running long or whatever, but also that's where sort of the running, the physical therapist's assessment and um, your own assessment of their running mechanics, if you're looking at them and they're, you know, going, their hips are falling out of alignment and they're got a big lateral lean and their arms are like, you know, this and, you know, mm-hmm. like crossing over instead of just along their sides. There are things you're like, okay, and you find also from the history, they're, they, as you know, runners love running and don't love a lot of other things. So maybe they're not doing a lot of strength training. Maybe mm-hmm. they're not doing mm-hmm. a lot of core stuff. They may not be, you know, paying attention to various things that could impact their, their form. Um, so that may be where you say, you know, overall, you got a pretty good VO2, you're lactate, but you're, you know, you're wasting all this oxygen just in how you're moving. And let's look at maybe some strategies that you could incorporate into your training plan that might lead to more mechanical economy when you're actually out there on the road. So that instead of running seven days a week, let's maybe think about taking a day where you're focusing on 
strength training or throwing in a little strength training through after before and after a workout or something so that you're getting some of these things. So the goal is really to figure out where is their wiggle room for, mm -hmm. for improvement? And then also finding from these people, like, are they doing, are they allowing their training to, to work for them? So right. it's probably worth more of an issue with, with triathletes, but I think probably runners are equally guilty is like they're, these are, it's neat. Well, you know, we're in New York city. It's very type mm -hmm. a they're working a million hours. They have a family and now they're training for a marathon or an Ironman. And there is just, you could have the best plan in the world. And if you're not getting any recovery, you're never going to have a good adaptation. Sure. So sure. there's also sort of that reality check of like, you need to check that box of eating, right. Resting and realizing that you're a human being and that, you're going to need to let yourself have adaptations to the stress that you're putting yourself through. You'll be able to do that. Well, I have so many questions about all, <laughs> all that you just laid out for us. It's just amazing. So I'm going to put another plug in for our listeners who are interested in this to come and, and see Polly at our, our annual meeting. At She has two different talks. One's on evaluating optimal running and mechanics. And the other one is about customizing a training program for running or otherwise at the annual meeting this April 28th uh, through May 3rd. It's going to be in Phoenix. And the registration should open at the end of, as of this recording, at the end of the month in, in January of 2023. So possibly open uh, when you're listening to this now. So go uh, register for that. Let me ask you one question, maybe just as one more teaser. You mentioned, you know, ways that you can shift your VO2 max, that you can shift your your mechanical, you know, like inefficiencies and try to work on your lactate threshold. Is there a way to shift to burning fat stores preferentially over glucose? Is that a training style? Yeah, that's, that's sort of a hot area, you know, yeah. like there's, there's a lot of, like everybody wants of, that answer. <laughs> oh God, everybody's like, yeah. I mean, so what I, first of all, you would imagine that, you know, someone like these sports nutrition product companies are not terribly interested in funding research into how not to use their products. Yeah, so. <laughs> sure. Okay. I believe that. <laughs> so there is, there are, there are sort of pockets of research about it, but um, I think what, I think the thing that will come out of it eventually is just sort of using nutrition to, to enhance the physiological effect of the, of the training session that you're doing. So for example, for improving fat burning, um, there's, there's a theory of like naked workouts basically with what they call them or where you like, you would eat in a way that favors fat metabolism, not causing big insulin spikes. You know, you'd mm -hmm. have like a healthy fat, some protein, maybe salad, whatever at night you get up the next morning, you don't have anything. You've basically, you know, you're in a sort of fat burning place and okay. Okay. you don't, you have, you don't have anything recently on board. Mm. And then you go out and you do a, you do a workout at, I, when they come to be tested, we look for their metabolic efficiency point, meaning 50, 50 fat carbohydrate, mm -hmm. or what's the point at which you have the greatest grams of carbohydrate being burned. Mm. Um, you know, so there you're looking at whatever, where is your, I mean, the greatest grams of fat being burned. Yeah, so that's you look at where is your yeah. maximum fat burning and you sure. work at that pace. Got it. So that's one thing. And then there's this theory of like, let's say to sort of tweak that even further. Let, so let's say you did a, you ate like lots of carbs and stuff. Then you went out and did like a track workout 
mm. in the evening or the mm -hmm. late afternoon and you went home and you ate in a fat in sort of a fat friendly way and then got mm. up and so you need, you've sort of depleted your glycogen a little bit you don't fully yeah. and then you get up and do this low intensity workout that your body's set um, for I yeah <laughs> so that's sort of generally but there's you could imagine there's all kinds of oh yeah ideas about this <laughs> but um that's i would say probably seems like a reasonable way to approach it but honestly i mean again because i'm old i when i was running marathons originally there was no sports nutrition and also i remember being told don't eat it'll upset your stomach like don't you yep. don't want to like yep. we were all running on fumes out there but we finished yep. so i think yep. what probably happened was I drank some water here and there. I never took anything. Um, and I think we all just were so incredibly metabolically efficient because you never ate when you were, yeah. you know, you were yeah. just always, you were just training to burn fat. So I think the pendulum just swung, swung so far that people were taking goos in a 5k yeah. that everyone just got super dependent. Uh, so I think there's probably this nice happy sure. medium where you We'll just let your body learn that you know when yep. you run long you can burn some fats but you can top it off with the the uh, products that are yeah. out there just like a lot of things in medicine it sounds like <laughs> yes <laughs> yes you're familiar so, with it. <laughs> well very very good to talk to you today Polly this was yeah. very enlightening and interesting I think our listeners will have a lot of questions and hopefully they'll come excited and to hear more about what you have to talk and maybe they'll even have questions to, to come and figure out how do they apply this to their own. Uh, we could do a whole second talk on how, how do you s start to do that. So thanks for taking the time to talk with okay. me today. And I look forward to meeting you or seeing you in person at the annual meeting. Just one more reminder, the annual meeting is April 28th to May 3rd in Phoenix and registration should open soon. So thanks so much, Polly. Well, thank you for having me. It was great fun talking to you. This was fantastic. <laughs>